you may be able to tell I'm having some trouble with my uh, voice today, so I apologize in advance if I cough or anything like that. I've got my water up here, so I'll try to keep that to a, to a minimum. On this uh, Transfiguration Day, our text is from uh, Matthew chapter 17, the first nine verses, and it is about seeing Jesus for who he is. Would you stand with me as we hear these words of scripture together? Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud a voice said, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Sometimes we see people day after day after day, and yet we never see them for who they really are. Maybe it's uh, someone we work with. Maybe it's someone who lives next door on our street. It could be somebody under the same roof with us. But because of the busyness of our life or because of the mundane routine our lives can sometimes fall into, we fail to really see them, to see them as who they are. Sometimes we can't see people for who they really are because we've made assumptions about who they are. We look at their appearance or their age or their gender or their socioeconomic status or the story that they've lived thus far in their life and we think we know them. But then something happens, an experience happens, and we get a glimpse into who they really are, and it changes how we see them from that day forward because we know who they really are. One of my favorite experiences uh, in life was uh, several years ago when I decided I was going to build a little uh, cabin, a little bunkhouse cabin on the property that Maine and, uh, Melody and I owned in Maine for many years. We just sold uh, a couple of years back. And uh, I had this vision of what it would be like. I came up with my little plan of how I would do this. And at my church back in Louisiana, there was a man named Joe, a retired man that 
every summer I would go with him and a bunch of uh, teenagers on mission trips and we'd build things and roof houses and do all kinds of stuff so I knew Joe could do anything and so I said Joe you want to come help me let's take a trip up to Maine and so two times he came with me and spent a whole week up there 24 hours a day with the preacher Isn't that a horrifying thought for any, any of you <laughs> I can see what you're thinking like oh my god you know it's a fate worse than death right and we had a great time together I and mean, we did everything we did the wiring and the plumbing and put the windows in we just had a wonderful time well after that first trip he told me how interesting it was that as soon as he got back to church that next Sunday how many people came up to him and asked him what's Barry really like <laughs> what's brother Barry like when he's not at church does he wear a suit and tie what does he do? What's he act like? What's he like to do? Well, by the time we had gone back the next year for that second week, they were really intrigued. And it was the Sunday when we had uh, returned on that uh, uh, Saturday. And I'm rushing through the narthex. We had three services, one after another, just like we do here. And I had to run out to the office and take off my robe and put on my jacket for the service. And I go by and there's a group of people that have Joe cornered and they're asking him, what's Barry really like? And so I stopped and eavesdropped <laughs> like you wouldn't, right? Of course you would. You know, somebody's going to talk about you. You're going to hear what they got to say about you. So I'm listening and I think Joe sensed my presence or he saw me out of the corner of his eye. And so when people ask, what is Barry really like? This was the answer he gave them. Well, I can tell you this. When he hits his thumb with a hammer, he doesn't say praise the Lord. <laughs> Yikes. I think he saw me for who I really was for a moment. Out in the wilds of Maine. Yeah. Yeah. You've heard me talk from time to time about my friend, uh, the other Barry, who I was ordained with and went through that long process to be ordained with. Uh, from the day I met him, he was my closest confidant uh, in the ministry. And we just shared the uh, same kind of sense of humor and I admired his work ethic and his commitment to Christ, his commitment to his calling. I appreciated so much how much he loved his people wherever he was appointed. He just loved his people. So I thought a lot about him. He was my friend. But along the way of our process of ordination, one of our colleagues uh, strayed off the path, got into some trouble and committed a, a terrible crime and ended up going to prison. And of all the pastors in the part of the state where the prison was, I heard through the grapevine that there was only one pastor who ever went to visit this fellow. And it was my friend, the other Barry. Every month, he went and shared communion and prayed and talked. This man had lost his marriage, his family, all of his friends, his job. 
He's in prison. But he had one friend. And I can tell you, I never looked at Barry the same way again. As much as I thought of him, here was this whole other depth of character that just changed how I saw him for the rest of his life till the day he died. At the church I was at before I came to Sun Creek, there was a young man who was a refugee who had made his way to this country through a long, dangerous, <clears throat> circuitous route included floating in a boat for days and days in the ocean. It was amazing. He made it to this country. He made it to Dallas. And he said he just looked for, walked around looking for a sign that had a cross and flame on it because he knew he'd find his people there. And he became a part of that congregation. And every Sunday when I would come through the... Uh, through the narthex, there were these two retired men that were always having coffee and donuts and talking with this young man. And I always thought to myself, isn't that wonderful they're so friendly to this guy that doesn't look anything like them and has had a totally different journey in life than they had? So I always respected that and appreciated that. But then one day this young refugee told me his story. And I found out that those men did a whole lot more than share a cup of coffee with him or buy him a donut. When he had ended up there all alone, they had rented him an apartment and helped him get on his feet. And they bought him a bicycle so he could get a job and go back and forth to work. I'd always liked those two gentlemen and I'd always respected them but do you think I ever looked at them the same way again after I learned how quietly they had been Jesus for this stranger in our land sometimes we get a chance to see people for who they really are in the gospel of Matthew right before the text we read today Things are rolling along pretty good. There's miracles everywhere and Jesus is teaching and things are going great. And then all of a sudden Jesus stops and he says, here's what's going to happen to me. I'm going to be turned over to the authorities and I'm going to suffer terribly and I'm going to die. And then I'll rise again. And then Jesus says to them, if any want to be my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. Those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? I don't know about you, but I imagine that at that moment, a whole lot of the energy went out of the room. They've been on this adrenaline high, following Jesus with all this exciting stuff. And then all of a sudden, all this talk about suffering and death and crosses and losing your life. I imagine they started asking themselves some questions 
don't you? Maybe this wasn't such a good idea. Maybe I can slip out of this crowd. Maybe I can just slip back to my old life, my old job, my old expectations for what life was going to be. How could I let myself think something that's too good to be true could be true? How could I have ever let my hopes get so high? Well, six days have gone by. Jesus gave the disciples plenty of time to wrestle with those thoughts and countless other ones. And then he asked Peter, James, and John, the big three, to hike up the mountain with him and spend some time on the mountaintop. And when they get there, this moment happens. This transfiguration moment where suddenly Jesus shines and his clothes are dazzling white and Moses and Elijah are there with him. An amazing moment. Peter sees the three and says, hey, let's build some places for y'all to stay, Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. And while Peter is doing what Peter always does, which is just open his mouth and see what words happen to fall out, you know, a bright cloud comes down and they hear that voice. This is my son, the beloved, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And they are so overcome that they just fall to the ground. They pass out. And then Jesus comes to them and touches them and nudges them, tells them to get up, don't be afraid. And they look up and just as fast as that moment had come, it is gone. And everything's the way it was. Except They'd never look at Jesus the same way again. Elijah is there, the great prophet representing the promises of old. But Elijah's also there to remind them of what, or to point to them to what their future experiences were going to be as they followed this man named Jesus. Elijah knew the greatest moments of triumph and power. He stood on the top of Mount Carmel and thundered at the prophets of Baal and called down fire from heaven and won the day. And 20 minutes later, he's running from Queen Jezebel, hiding in a cave and literally praying to God that he would die. These disciples needed to know that's what life looks like when you're following God's call. Moses represents the law, the covenant God made, but Moses also represents what it means to be rejected by those you gave your life for, to be betrayed by those who you loved enough to lead for 40 years in the wilderness. Moses knew what it was like to be misunderstood and unappreciated and hated because he did the very thing that brought freedom to people's life. You don't think the disciples needed to see 
that that was going to be in their life if they followed Jesus? Rejected and betrayed by the very people Jesus gave his life for. Moses and Elijah. Don't we still need a transfiguration moment every now and then in our life? So that we can really see who Jesus is? I don't know about you. I have no trouble seeing who Jesus is when I'm on the mountaintop and everything's glowing and dazzling and wonderful. It's when we go back down from the mountaintop. And life is full of doubt and life is full of struggle and life is full of disappointment and pain. Sometimes it's hard to see who Jesus really is. That's why we have this story. And that's why we have this gift. My favorite writer, Frederick Beekner, says of this text, it is as strange a scene as there is in the Gospels. Even without the voice from the cloud to explain it, they had no doubt what they were witnessing. It was Jesus of Nazareth, all right, the man they'd tramped many a dusty mile with, whose mother and brothers they knew, the one they'd seen as hungry, tired, and footsore as the rest of them. But it was also the Messiah, the Christ in his glory. It was the holiness of the man shining through his humanness, his face so afire with it that they were almost blinded. That's what this moment means to us, to remind us that Jesus is who Jesus is no matter what else is going on in the world. No matter what else is going on in our life. No matter what our struggle, no matter what our challenge, no matter what our disappointment, no matter what our pain, Jesus is who he is. The beloved Son of God. The Messiah. If the circumstances of Jesus' life, as difficult and bad as they became as he moved toward the cross, if the circumstances of Jesus' life couldn't change who Jesus really is, we know the circumstances of our life can't change who Jesus is. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.